I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. Among the challenging aspects of breast cancer care is one that is often more social than medical, delays in treatment. A JAMA Oncology study suggests that patients with a time to chemotherapy of 91 or more days had a 34% increased risk of overall death and a 27% increased risk of death from breast cancer. But it is often Hispanic and African-American patients, Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries, and those with more comorbidities or of low socioeconomic status who are at higher risk of experiencing delays. So how can these disparities be addressed and solved? Dr. Mariana Chavez-McGregor is an associate professor at the University of MD Anderson Cancer Center, holding a primary appointment in the Health Services Research Department and a joint appointment in the Breast Medical Oncology Department. In addition to a busy clinical practice, Dr. Chavez-McGregor conducts research focused on breast cancer outcomes and disparities, working to develop personalized ways to overcome barriers to care in select populations and improve outcomes. She's been a BCRF investigator since 2018. Before our conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mariana Chavez-McGregor. Dr. Chavez McGregor, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Happy to join you and all your audience. So could we start with both what I assume is the simple and just frustratingly complex question um, that keeps you up at night and defines uh, such a significant portion of your career? Um, why are breast cancer – why is breast cancer treatment – sometimes delayed? Well, that, that's, a, that's, as you said, a question that, that motivates me and that do keep me up at night sometimes. I, I think that as a breast medical oncologist, I have seen firsthand how sometimes patients delay the initiation of their treatment. I have particularly uh, focus on studying delays to initiation of adjuvant chemotherapy, which is the chemotherapy that starts after surgery, meaning patients are already part of the healthcare system, they have a cancer diagnosis, they undergo oncological surgery, and then they delay the initiation of their chemotherapy. What me and my group noted first, and those were very important studies, is we first noted that those delays matter meaning a patient delaying the initiation of chemotherapy, particularly for triple negative or HER2-positive tumors, has worse outcomes than a patient that starts treatment, let's say, within a month or two from surgery. So knowing that delays are detrimental for patients' outcome, outcomes, then the question becomes, well, why are patients delaying treatment or who are the patients more likely to delay treatment? So that was kind of like a next step in, in our line of research. And what we identify using different large national databases that, that, that represent what's happening 
is uh, we've seen over and over again that racial and ethnic minorities are more likely to delay their treatment. Women at extremes of age, either those that are very young or very old, are more likely to delay treatment. Uh, patients with more comorbidities, patients with low socioeconomical status, low education levels, are, are at higher risk at delaying their treatments, uh, telling us that there's some social determinants of health that are very likely associated with, with, with those delays. Not surprisingly, we saw that patients that are uninsured are more likely to delay the initiation of treatment. And, and then we wanted to go even deeper because identifying which populations are higher risk of delays doesn't tell us the complete story. It's not giving us the why. And what I have been doing with the help of Conquer Cancer Foundation and BCRF is working on the why. And with the team of collaborators, we're actually doing qualitative research. And, and the difference in this type of research is that we are going to the story of the individual patient. We're identifying patients that have gone through treatment delays and hearing their stories and trying to, to identify patterns in these stories to help us understand things at the individual level, but then extrapolating to really what is happening that can help us explain this delay. So then, of course, we can plan solutions. Yeah, and I want to ask you about those patterns because uh, that's where a you know society-wide set of solutions I would assume could be put into place. But as I was reading about this, it, you know, particularly at this time of COVID, we all are getting a real-time, even deeper education around uh, many, many of the inequities around access to health care, around uh, issues of comorbidity, so many of the things that you just described, and, and we're, we're hearing about that. And by the way, I want to ask you as well, I'm, I'm sure that COVID is making everything even more complicated in your world, and, and, and we'll talk about that too. But just to hone in on one point that you, that you made, these are women, these are patients who have had the surgery, and it, you know it's it's not a set it's not a set of patients who you're not thinking you're not talking about the sets of patients uh, who have put off care and we all do it who who have delayed for whatever reason but these are these are patients who have already had the surgery and now this is the next step the the, the chemotherapy was that even more surprising or frustrating to you because these are the women who are kind of right at that stage where they've gone through this particular challenge, now have the opportunity uh, to, to start, you know, we hope, making improvements, and yet there are barriers to their care. Yeah, and, and I think there are, of course, many different ways to study treatment delays, and there are many different time intervals that, that we can study. This was one that we thought it was feasible and consistent. But but with our findings, you can only wonder what will be the impact of patients delaying even a diagnosis because of fear or lack of access to health. Yeah. So so you can only wonder and and imagine that the implications in terms of their outcomes are going to be even worse. And 
And I, of course, I I work at a you know large academic institution as a as a woman and as a breast cancer doctor. Are I am encouraged by the new drugs that we have access to and how we're improving treatment for breast cancer patients. But from a very simple perspective, I think we should also think about how the great treatments that we already have can be delivered to the entire population on time. Mm. Um, because maybe we are we are missing a great opportunity to impact the lives of, of many, many uh, cancer patients. So where does that begin? Where does that conversation begin? And maybe this gets to what you were talking about a moment ago, um, trying to decipher the patterns by talking to the individuals. What, what patterns are you seeing? Right now, we are in the in the phase of analyzing some of, of these um, interviews. As you can imagine, when when a participant in a patient shares their story, there is a lot, a lot of material to 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 go through. But but part of that analysis has been really interesting. What we are seeing, and and some of those um, survivors that are hearing us might might identify with this, but we are identifying a pattern of shock of uh, either this overwhelming information that, that can paralyze some women into that next step, right? They are hearing that they have to go through chemotherapy and suddenly it's like their life, it's, it's in shock. There's fear. There's, there's stigma about cancer. Mm. There is, Worry that it's, of course, valid regarding the finances, regarding job security, regarding um, that the responsibilities that that specific patient is living at the time. And, of course, those are very different for, for a patient with little kids compared to another one that is young and wants to have kids and wants to think about preserving her fertility or to... Uh, older woman that is the primary caretaker of a family member. So, so that role um, in that moment gets, gets, of course, shaken by the news of chemotherapy. And we, we're seeing that, that in some patients, it takes a while to get them to the action, to mm. get ready to do it. Uh, we are seeing through different uh, layers of analysis in one way or the other, how crucial and fundamental support is. And support can come from other breast cancer survivors, from family, from friends, from community, from from um, church uh, or, or uh, members, for, for those that practice a specific type of faith. But that support from others becomes very, very relevant. And something that has been very interesting, and, and in that regard, I think maybe we as providers are the ones that can solve this, we have found very little insight in terms of the delay, meaning all the participants that we're interviewing experience initiation of chemotherapy delay all of them. It was part of the criteria to invite them to be part of the study. Mm -hmm. And majority of them don't think about them as having experienced a delay in the initiation of their treatment. Hmm. And, and 
And I think that might then fall into us as providers. Maybe maybe we don't talk about the importance of timely treatment enough. Um, so so I, I, I think that is very interesting and that tells us about the the shared responsibility that we have uh, of, of, of interest. Um, we of course have seen some or have heard some stories related to to travel to to the hospitals to receive treatment or to insurance. But again, let's remember that these participants that we're interviewing, all of them are already immersed. They're in the, in the system. system. They already. They've already right. had they, the yeah. Correct. Yeah. These are not patients that are thinking about shall I get a mammogram or oh my God, what do I do? I have a lump. I don't have a doctor, right? right. We are talking to women that already knew they had cancer, that underwent breast cancer surgery, that had a team of doctors. Some of them may have, you know, wanted second opinions, et cetera. But 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 it is a, a highly selected group of, of women, if you think about that way. Yeah. And what also sounds to me in listening to you that would just make it such a complex problem for someone like you or other providers uh, to, to unwind is, you know, is this a social problem? Is this a society problem? Is this a public policy problem? Is this a health problem? Is this a psychological problem? Is this a cultural challenge? I mean, wh where do you begin in, in thinking about how to get to the heart of the why? I honestly think this is multidimensional. Uh, all the factors that you mentioned, I am convinced that play a role and they might play a more or less significant role for each individual patient. But of course, I think there are common themes. Mm. Um, social inequalities, we know that affect healthcare outcomes. That That is not new. We see it over and over again in breast cancer and in other diseases. And we can talk about this, but of course we're seeing that with the COVID pandemic. So, so social um, inequalities matter, language matters, mm. navigating the healthcare system, it's quite complex. Uh, you almost need like even more than a PhD to understand an insurance bill. It's very complicated, can be overwhelming. Um, I think, of course, policy matters. And, and there's a project that, that relates to this that, that I am doing. We just submitted um, this data to the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium and, and are starting to work on the manuscript. But what we are doing is we're looking at a very large uh, national database and we're evaluating the time to treatment, time to initiation of chemotherapy, same group of patients, right, to be consistent, finish surgery, looking at the initiation of their treatment. And we're looking at the differences between whites and Hispanics and whites and African-Americans among women diagnosed with breast cancer in states that underwent Medicaid expansion in mm. 2014. So this is a policy because you were asking about policy. Right? Yeah, so the yeah. question is, can we, with policy, decrease the time to chemotherapy initiation, one, and two, can we, knowing which ones are the populations that are more affected, maybe with these policies, decrease this gap? 
And our analysis so far, what it's showing us is in this group of states, if we compare pre-Medicaid expansion and after Medicaid expansion, there was a decrease in the time to chemotherapy initiation, so the proportion of patients that delay treatment decreased, and we saw a delay regardless of race and ethnicity. So we saw benefit across all the subgroups that we studied. But when we did, you know, it's a little complicated analysis. We call that a difference in difference analysis. But what we saw is that the gap between whites and African-Americans and whites and Hispanics shrank in those patients after the Medicaid expansion, suggesting that these policies that have uh, as a goal decreasing um, disparities and increasing access to care are really giving the results that, that are meant to have. And, and that tells me that, you know, this shared responsibility that I was talking about, of course, Physicians and providers and medical oncologists like me are responsible to, to discuss this with our patients to inform them about the importance of timely treatment initiation, but that as a society and, and as policymakers, there's also a responsibility to facilitate that access to care. So, so I think it's psychological, I think it's medical, I think it's policy. It's, it's quite complex, and, and many of, of um, the the members of your audience, I'm sure they can identify about this you know, almost snowball of things that, that a woman has to go through just to get it. And, and I'm sure the some cases can be smooth, some cases it's some some cases it's much more it, it's a longer journey, but but I think we do have a sure responsibility and only implementing strategies that touch on all these dimensions we are going to be able to expedite treatment initiation. Because if we think about strategies, and, and some of this we're going to try to pilot in a small study with patient navigators, for example. Well, there's so much that a patient navigator can do if they don't have the buy-in from the providers, or there's so much a patient navigator can do if if a participant does not have access to healthcare. So I think it has to be multidimensional. What is a patient navigator? So patient navigators can be nurses, uh, social workers. I see. So people who help a patient through the process. Got it. Okay. Correct. And, 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 um, that, that literally help you navigate that, you know, enormous sea of things, right? Understand scheduling, make sure that, that things don't fall through, that that if you need um, help with transportation, for yeah. example. Yes, it, yes, it, that's major, I, I know. Language. I, I mean, it, it may sound minor, but if you need public transportation or, I, or you, your finances are not allowing you to pay parking for every week, the hours that you're going to spend at the hospital, you're, you're more likely to, to not go, uh, access to support groups. So those are some of the things that, that a patient navigator can do, almost like walking you through through the journey. And, and, and as I was saying, I think 
patients are going to have different needs. Some might have needs with language. Some might have needs with travel. Some might have needs with facilitating visits with other providers because if they have a lot of comorbidities, sometimes we as doctors need them to get those other comorbidities under control before we start treatment, right? So there's there's also medical part of this. There might be times that I cannot start treatment because there's there's an open wound because the surgery didn't heal and, and it may not have healed because the, that patient has poorly controlled diabetes because she's not been able to, to have regular follow-up. So it can be a very, very complex. And, and I'm afraid the solutions are going to have to be, as I said, multidimensional because yeah. if they're too superficial, we might not see um, the change that I think we all want to see. Yeah, it, it sounds extremely complicated. The sliver of hope, and I'm a hopeful person by nature, um, maybe to me, in, in listening to you and thinking about the times that we are in, I mean, when you talk about uh, ideas like shared responsibility and the importance of public health and the role that public policy can play in challenges like the ones that you're describing, um, it we are living through a moment with COVID in particular where I think many, if not most of us, are understanding the role that public health can play and a coordinated policy can play and, and must play in terms of keeping people safe, healthy, and going about their lives. And so in, in thinking about that and thinking about the COVID situation, um, first of all, you may or may not uh, agree with the statement I just made. So if, if you think that I've got that wrong, please, um, you know, let me know. And, and then secondly, um, how has the COVID situation complicated all of the complications that you're already describing? I, I do believe, and we all are living it, that these are unique, uh, challenging times, the, the COVID pandemic, it's it's clearly affecting uh, you know the entire world and, and and some people have been greatly affected in terms of health and job security etc. Something that has been very interesting from the perspective of the disparities research that I'm interested in is a lot of people are noting how um, while we all care, are vulnerable to to COVID. Some groups are dying more from mm. it. And this is something that it's been seen not only in the United States, but across the world. Yeah. We know that uh, more African-Americans and Hispanic minorities are, are, are dying of, of COVID. We know that the elderly, we know that cancer patients. But, but there is a, a social distribution, if you want to call it that. And this has been of a lot of interest for a lot of people, including the news media. And, and what I think it's very important to mention is that, well, this is tragic. This is not new. This same phenomenon that we're seeing with COVID, we have been seeing for a while in breast cancer, in other cancer, in chronic diseases. So there is a disparity in outcomes. A lot of researchers from BZRF, uh, many of them also supported by Conquer Cancer Foundation, have 
describe and try to understand these disparities that are very clear for breast cancer. So we are just seeing in greater magnitude or maybe closer to us what happens in many other conditions. Now, the current COVID crisis, it's posing many challenges for, for patients and, of course, for the healthcare system. Talking specifically about cancer patients, we are seeing a lot of cancer patients that are getting their, their treatment, if not interrupted, at least delayed. And, and in this case, it's not because patients are doing anything wrong or we are doing anything wrong. It's, it's just the circumstances. Yeah. In, in Texas, for a while, there was a uh, government mandate to, to decrease certain types of surgeries. Because the hospitals were at capacity because we needed to um, have PPE for for medical personnel, a number of reasons. And, and these are, you know, public measures aimed at protecting the overall population, but that at the individual level may have caused or are causing for some patients not to receive the expedited treatment that they would have otherwise received. Similarly, if you think about our screening programs, every year and every month, actually, thousands of women participate in screening programs and that they are diagnosed with early stage breast cancers. Well, what if now, given the situation, we are not able to get our mammograms on time? Yeah. I can tell you, I personally was due to have my mammogram in June. It's July. Maybe it's just a month. I don't think it's such a serious problem. But but it's it's becoming harder to access, um, you know, uh, the, the the healthcare system because the healthcare system is saturated and and carrying a very sick patient. Similarly, um, individuals that have lost health insurance, giving loss of jobs, so they're not able to to look for for help. So I do think well, I have not studied it or measure it, I think we are going to see some of these unintended consequences from the COVID pandemic in breast cancer and, and in other cancers and, and medical problems. Unfortunately, that is my fear. Now, trying to be, I think, optimistic, as, as you said, there are, of course, a lot of, of um, organizations like BCRF, many healthcare institutions. Uh, that are trying to to work extra hours to open our doors to make sure that we're available to provide patients the the care they need and the reassurance that even in the circumstances we're going to give them the best possible care. Yes, yes, uh, it's so much, and uh, you know what you just described kind of would be the last thing that anyone needs is uh, more. Uh, obstacles and challenges in what's already, as you've described, a really challenging and uh, complex situation. Um, so it is fascinating to listen to you and hear you talk about the ways that you seek to help others. Can we talk for a moment about you? Um, as far as I can tell, you've studied in Mexico, the Netherlands, St. Louis, and then Texas, which, to be fair, by many people's count, that actually would be a country on its own. So let's call it four different <laughs> countries. <laughs> uh, so how many languages do you speak? 
No, not that many. No. I, I, I use I, I, not that many. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Mexico. Um, my family's there. That's where I did medical school. Um, I always wanted to be a cancer doctor, and mm. and I became convinced that I wanted to be a breast cancer doctor when I was in medical school, and I was probably around twenty one or twenty two years old. So that that became my dream. Um, I I went then to the Netherlands to do a master's in clinical epidemiology, and I work with a wonderful. Um, group evaluating breast cancer risk factors as a way to to prepare myself and to position myself better to to get the best possible training here at the United States and that's how I got fortunate to be accepted to the um, internal medicine residency program at Washington University in St. Louis and then um, medical oncology training at MD Anderson I've I've been faculty here for now almost nine years. I'm a ten-year associate professor. I I love what I do. I'm I'm committed to my patients, and and I do love to travel and learn from different cultures and places, and 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 and, and that is something that 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 keeps me moving. It, yeah, I I'm sure that it does. And in thinking about it, I mean that that can't be a mistake. The area, the particular area, and the particular issues that we've been talking about within breast cancer and treatment that you have taken on personally, I, I can't imagine that that is separated from your own personal history, your own growth, the places that you've lived, the people that you've met, the cultures that you've studied. Um, is that right? I mean, is there is this kind of a natural progression for somebody of of your kind of spirit who would have spent so much time in so many different locations? I, I think it is. Um, of course, I, I have a total bias uh, with trying to understand um, distribution of health and, 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 and disease in different populations. As I said, I'm from Mexico. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to the health of, of Hispanics. I've I'm, I'm, it, it is who I am. It is where I'm coming from. And, and of course, it's a very important area of research where I can see that we can make a difference. Mm. Um, and, and, and that has really filled me with, with, with passion and with a sense of purpose. But, but I think you're right. It's, it's closely linked to, to who I am, to where I grew up, where where the things that 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 I've seen, um, I I have been fortunate to care for a very large number of patients, and I've seen extremes of very privileged patients and and patients in very difficult circumstances, and I have to help them all. and And for me, is how as a society, as a healthcare system can make sure that all patients get the best possible care because that's what we all want to to be able to to get the best treatment for all breast cancer patients to to give them the best possible outcomes regardless of 
who they are, where they're from, what language they speak. I think that's the ultimate goal that we all have and, and that BCRS has, has supported and I'm incredibly thankful for all their support. A lot of this I couldn't have done with without the support of them that of course comes from so many of of the patients and survivors and, and family members and audience that, that you reach. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. And what you just described about your goals and and what you want to do certainly comes across so strongly in getting to talk with you. Dr. Chavez McGregor, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. It's been my privilege. That was my conversation with Dr. Mariana Chavez McGregor. My thanks to Dr. Chavez McGregor for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org slash podcasts.